Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to open up the Word of God today. Our hearts are open, our minds are open. We've worshiped you, we've followed up the ground here in the room and in every home. And we thank you, Father God, that now we're ready to receive that seed, that incorruptible seed of your word, that when it is sown, it grows up and produces a mighty harvest. And so, Father, thank you for your word today. We believe it does fall on good ground. We, be we believe, Father God, it will be fruitful. And we believe that our lives will never be the same because of your word today. We receive it with joy and with gladness and high expectation today. And all of God's people said... Amen. Over the last six weeks, as you know, we've been unpacking 10 qualities, 10 qualities of what it means to be a disciple, 10 qualities that'll take uh, just a mere believer um, um, and, and turn him or her into a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we've endeavored to do that. We started the series by talking about the price of being a disciple. We gave you the first five qualities of becoming a fully devoted disciple. Last week, we started the second part of the series. We've gone from the price of being a disciple now to the responsibility of being a disciple. Pastor Tom started us off last week, did a great job, wouldn't you agree? Did a great job on the sixth quality, living morally pure in an impure world. And today, uh, I will continue the seventh quality that I want to talk about is a disciple is a bold witness. A disciple is a bold witness. What does that mean? A disciple is a bold witness. So some helpful context as we continue this series. We told you the difference between a believer and a disciple. To remind you, a believer is someone who gives intellectual assent, a mental assent to the truths of the Bible and may occasionally feel close to God. That describes so many in our churches today. But disciples are so overwhelmed by those truths and the reality of God that everything in their lives revolves around Jesus. You know, I've been at this long enough to know that I would never assume that there are believers everywhere that their life revolves around Jesus. Because I know that's not true. While they believe in Jesus, and while I know because of Jesus living in their heart, they're on their way to heaven, but they're distracted by so many things. They got their mind on their jobs and on their marriage that needs help and their children that are, that are, that are, that are flaking out and, and the pressures on the job and money and so forth. And, and I get the pressures are real, but there's something that happens in the passionate heart of the disciple that even while all those things are still going on, their number one priority is not their circumstances or situations. Their number one priority is Jesus. Amen. Can I hear an amen in the house today? It's Jesus. We're all striving and in the process of making sure that that becomes a reality in our lives. Now, while preparing this message, the first thought that rose up in my heart was a very revealing prayer Jesus prayed concerning you and me. He prayed this prayer in John 17. It says this in John 17, 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. 
You know, I think this is so telling that Jesus specifically said to the Father, I'm not asking you to take these followers of mine out of the world. In fact, on the contrary, he said, I, I want you to send them into the world. Now put this in perspective, in the 21st century world that is filled with immorality and iniquity and violence and greed and anger and slander and cynicism and prejudice and sexism and racism and, you know, the list goes on and on, the world that we live in around us. And Jesus is saying, no, don't take them out. Don't take them out in the midst of all that. Put them right in the middle of all that. Jesus knew this, that if we would personally be transformed by the Spirit of God and have a strong spiritual core, our light would shine brightly from a place of strength and we would simultaneously remain holy in the midst of darkness. So we can do this thing. We can absolutely be the disciples that God wants us to be. We can absolutely be the witnesses, the bold witnesses that he wants us to be. So I think, obviously, he wouldn't ask the Father to leave us in this world without giving us the equipment and the tools to be victorious in this world. What kind of father would that be? To set us up for failure, and to set us up for shame, and to set us up for, for, for destruction and disaster. That's not God's plan and purpose. He said, Lord, keep him safe from the evil one, no doubt. Keep him in that place of, of safety and our angels constantly camped about us. But Lord, I need them in the middle of the 21st century chaos. Are you hearing that today? The world... The world that, that Jesus sent us to is not this distant, far-off land in some remote regions of the earth, but it, the place in which each of us conduct our everyday life. It's in our homes. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in, with our neighbors. It's with our school, our colleges. It's where we go eat. It's where we shop. It's, it's, it's in our workplaces. Amen. And, and the world comprises of all these areas, and we need to recognize that God wants us to engage in the lives of the people God has brought into our lives. Listen very carefully. The world was never supposed to be a threat to the church, but rather the mission field of the church, which through Jesus Christ has the power to change our world rather than being changed by our world. That's God's plan. God never wanted you to live your life like in the castle and, and with a moat around your house and the drawbridge comes down. We got to go to stop and shop quick and we run to stop and shop and we run back to our castle and the, the, the gate goes up and we're safe and secure in our little fortress. That's not God's plan. God never created you for that. God never created me for that, that we would live these isolated monk-like lives, not talk to anybody or, or live amongst anybody. No, God said, I want them to be so strong and so full of my spirit and so full of my anointing and so full of my love, understanding my mercy, understanding my grace, that they realize their place is right in the middle of the chaos to let their light shine. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose, and that's the adjustment all of us need to make. But it'll take each of us, every one of us, to personally rise up and change our perspective of the world and the people that live right around us. Instead of hiding from the world and being overwhelmed by the evil in it, we need to see our world the way Jesus sees our world, 
trusting in the power of the Spirit that's working constantly on the inside of us. Amen. Now, let me be clear. Reaching out to those far from God is not a nice idea. Jesus commanded it. Believers ignore the command, but disciples obey it. Matthew 28, Jesus spoke to his followers and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Am I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. These verses are known as the Great Commission. Many of us, because of our lack of understanding or our urgency um, about this, we look and we tend to look at these verses at this, as the Great Suggestion. It is not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. It's a command. It's not whether you get around to it or think about it or maybe when you finally develop into a fully devoted, perfect child of God, then come around to it. No, he's telling us this is our commission as believers. And we must feel that this urgency and this sense of responsibility. And unfortunately, so many believers feel no urgency and feel no responsibility regarding the Great Commission. Jesus goes on to say in another set of verses, he says this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, um, in Samaria and the ends of the world the ends of the earth. So everywhere in the Boston area, in New England, in United States, and around the world. Amen. That's God's plan, and sharing Jesus is not optional for disciples. We may have to change some things around us. We might have to change our attitude to be more effective, but we, whatever it is, we need to do to change so that we can follow Jesus' command. That's what disciples do. So to become effective disciples, we need three things. Are you ready? To become effective disciples and effective witnesses, we need three things. Number one, we need bold love. Everybody say bold love. Bold. We need bold love. For centuries, people who read the Bible always marveled at the love of God. It wasn't this love that was serpy and sentimental greeting card kind of love. It was strong and sacrificial and life-changing. It got people's attention. His love, people were amazed by it. They were mesmerized that he would love with such depth and love with such compassion and love so completely and love such a wide range of people. When people in the world today think of Christians, do they see us as people who are known for our sacrificial care of others? Or do they see us only as narrow, self-righteous, judgmental opponents of everything that the world values? See, when we're known for only what's wrong instead of for what's right, we lose our audience. Amen. See, love is the chief hallmark of a disciple. It's the chief trademark, if you will, of the disciple. As the old song says, they'll know we are Christians by our love. 
See, the quality of our love is proven by the willingness, come on, the willingness to step into people's lives and provide for them help, care, and time, even when it's costly and inconvenient, even when they don't agree with our principles and our doctrines. Amen. See, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, we read there, and you can look it up later, Jesus explains the entire content of God's laws and commands in the Old Testament and sums it up with four simple but profound life-changing words. Four words. Love God, love people. Love God, right? Love God, love people. Say it with me. That's our assignment. It doesn't get any hard. It's not complicated. We make it so complex. Love God, love people. The love, to love the way Jesus loved means that we need to be open to every part of ourselves, not just portions of ourselves that's comfortable to expose or be a blessing to or offer assistance and help to and respond to the love of God by, by letting God love us in return Uh, And then our hearts overflowing in that same love to people he loves, who is everyone, every person on the face of the earth. Amen. Question, why aren't we more, why aren't more of us bolder when it comes to giving witness to our faith? Why is it? Why is it so many of us lack the courage and the boldness to share our faith. I believe it's simple, because we love ourselves more than we love God and people. Can I just be straight with you today? I don't have a lot of time to flower it up today. Amen. But, but that's the reason why, for the most part, many of us are not bold enough in our witnesses, because we love ourselves more than we love God and people. We live for what makes us happy and comfortable. We insulate ourselves from others by living in neighborhoods where we think they don't need us, and we spend time with people who don't ask much of us. Mm. We live focused on ourselves. We really do. And we seldom even touch the person right next door to us, let alone the person in the next office. And oh, there's no doubt in my mind that many of us in this room and watching us online, absolutely, you live your life to to love others and to give and to serve and to be a blessing. But the biggest challenge that typically trips all of us up is this. Love always requires more of us than we're normally, than we normally want to give. We have a certain limitation. We have a certain quota, if you will. We have a certain like, now this is feeling uncomfortable. Now you're going too far. Oh, that's a little bit too much. Too much of my time, my gift, my money. Now now you're stretching me beyond what I think might be normal. Maybe our normal needs to change. Maybe our normal needs to be redefined as disciples. So become an effective witness is not complex. This is not hard. It's simply loving people enough to be willing to be a blessing, even when it's costly. Jesus laid down his life for us. And in little ways every day, we laid down our lives for others. And you'll be amazed at what happens when you love boldly. Amen. Amen. Number two, the second thing that's required to be an effective witness is bold influence. Bold influence. Say it with me. What does bold influence look like? Well, Jesus had two powerful words, metaphors, if you will, to illustrate our identity, 
to illustrate our role, to illustrate his people and the impact we're supposed to have around us. We read it when Jesus spoke to the crowd in Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Go back, please. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Thank you. Where it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. These are great verses of Scripture. And so enlightening for us today to understand only bold love, but now bold influence. Salt and light is how we influence people, right? God wants us to be flavorful and colorful, not drab and bland. He wants us to be interesting. He doesn't want us to be boring. I got to tell you, most Christians I've hung out with, they're boring. They're boring. You need to do something besides reading your Bible. Oh my goodness, did you just hear that? Is that the pastor of our church that just said you need to do something then read more than your Bible? Absolutely. How about understanding a little bit more about the world? How about having some interests and, 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 and not just needlepoint? Or I'm not against needlepoint, but I'm saying, right, expand your horizon and learn a little bit about the world and be able to have a conversation and not be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You can't even relate to your neighbor because you're so caught up. In, and on the job, you, every break, I mean, I'm not against you reading your Bible on the job, but man, make friends. Talk to people, right? Get off your iPhone. See, salt and light is supposed to be what? Flavorful, colorful, not drab and bland. The ancient world didn't have refrigerators, so we know that the, in order to preserve their meat that would spoil in a couple hours, they had to cure it with what? With salt. And, and we know that's true, but salt does more than just preserve meat. It also gives it flavor. Can I talk to all the cooks in the room today? Is salt important? Absolutely. Barring uh, a diet issue, right? We all like our salt, and, and cooks know that the most important flavor that can be oftentimes is simply some added salt. It makes every food more delicious, right? So for disciples of Jesus, the first role of salt is obvious. Here it is. There's two, actually. Here's the first one. The gospel of grace is the only preservative that keeps people from experiencing the wrath of God and eternal alienation we deserve because of our sins. Here's what salt does. It's the gospel of grace. It's a preservative that keeps people from experiencing the wrath of God and eternal alienation we deserve because of our sins. And you might ask the first question as we read this, well, what is the gospel of grace, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul summarized the gospel of grace in his letter to the Corinthians and says this in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. And I, I summarize here. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. By this gospel, you are saved. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. See, what are the four most important parts of the gospel message? It's listed right here. And it's according to the most, the pro, most prolific preacher in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He says, number one, Christ died for your sins just like the scriptures told us. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he was raised up just like the prophets foretold. And number four, he appeared in resurrection to many. Right there is the gospel of grace. Right there is the first part of why you are salt, because you need to help people understand the gospel of grace. As salt, as a disciple, you need to understand the gospel of grace. You need to recognize the gospel. What is the gospel? It's a simple message, but it's a profound message, so you can understand it for yourself and have reassurance and know that you are saved, and you don't have to be saved again and again every Sunday morning. See, when you don't know, I didn't know growing up. So every Sunday, I used to raise my hand and rededicate myself back to the Lord until I wore out my rededicator. And I know many Christians who are not settled in the fact your sins are forgiven. Man, you're on your way to heaven. Like Pastor Josh said this morning, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. And we're grateful for that. But you need to understand that as a disciple and realize that's part of what salt does and what salt says. The gospel is 100% good news. Say it with me. It's good news. Say good news, good news, good news. You did that well. See, on the cross, Jesus became our sin offering. Aren't you glad? He took our punishment and secured our eternal forgiveness. He died so we might live, and he, he, he was wounded so we might be healed, and he was cursed so we could be blessed. And Jesus forged this new covenant in his blood, exchanging our sinfulness for his righteousness. So the first obvious um, uh, need and understanding and purpose for salt is that you understand this gospel of grace. The second thing, the second thing. So the first thing is the gospel of grace is the only preservative that keeps people from experiencing the wrath of God in eternal alienation and deserve, we deserve because of our sin. The second one is not so obvious. That when we interact with people, what flavor do they experience? When we interact with people, what flavor do they experience? Do they say, man, that's delicious. I've never heard it like that before. Man, that's awesome. I never heard it explained that way. That's wonderful. Man, that's delicious. Where can I get more of that? Or do they say, hmm, eh, not much flavor in that. I, I, I think I'll go somewhere else. Or do they go, man, that's disgusting. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking necessarily in reference to their response to you talking to them about the gospel. I'm referring to our normal, everyday interactions. Do we leave them hungry for more, or do we leave them thinking, man, I don't like that, and I'm not going there to hear more of it? Amen. Jesus said that we are lights to people around us, and we need to understand that. We are lights, so we are not only salt, but we are light. So we understand the benefits of salt. What's the benefits of light? 
The benefits of light is, number one, it illuminates reality so people can see clearly to make good decisions. See, when you're in the light, you realize, whoa, where am I? I didn't realize I was so lost. I didn't realize my life was such a mess. I didn't realize I thought everybody was like this. Everybody around me is confused. Everybody around me living in sin. Everybody around me is fooling around. Everybody around me is having sex outside of marriage. Everybody around me is living their lives in any old way they want to. Whatever feels good, do it. When light hits them, they realize, whoa, I didn't realize I wasn't seeing clearly. So the light that we share, the salt that we give, and the light that we expose, the light opens up people's eyes, and the blinders that have been blinding them are lifted, and they begin to realize, whoa, I need Jesus. And if we're not salt and light, we can't preserve, and we can't be flavorable, and if we're not salt, amen, and if we're not light, then we can't help people see clearly to make good decisions. And number two, it makes beautiful things more visible, vibrant, and attractive. Amen. I know the gospel is attractive. Jesus is attractive. The help of the Holy Spirit is attractive. Knowing you can be healed if you're sick, that's attractive. Knowing you can be set free and start over again when you've messed up your life, that's attractive. And unless the light shines on that, people are hopeless and think, wow, I'm, I'm destined to be a loser the rest of my life. I'm destined to be this losing person just like my grandfather and my father. There's no hope unless the light comes and makes the obvious things that are already beautiful more beautiful. That's what light does. You can have a piece of artwork on the wall and it just sits there. You put the right light on that, right? And what happens? The vibrantness of the, of the, of the colors and the dimension that the artist put in there suddenly comes alive. Why? That's what light does. Salt in life. Jesus said we are to shine like a city on a hill so everyone in the surrounding countryside can see the source of our light. We put it on a lampstand. We don't hide it. We put it on the lampstand so people can see how we are walking in love and we have been loved by God, that we are forgiven, that we have been accepted by God, that we understand the mercy and grace of God, that we understand the power of the Spirit. And so that, that's an example to the world because we let our light shine. In the darkness, even the loveliest of flowers or painting or a person can go unnoticed but in the light, brilliant colors and beauty pop out, amen, and amaze people. That's what a disciple does. That's what I do. That's what you do. If we're born again, God has put that light in us. Is it shining or is it hidden? Is your light shining or are you hiding it? Hiding it because of fear or intimidation or hiding because you feel so unqualified. Hiding because you, you just don't know what to do. Amen. Does it reveal the reality of sin and grace so people can make good decisions about God? And does it show the beauty of Christ, all he is, all he has done, and all he has planned for each one of us? When somebody gets into light 
and sees what God has done and sees what God will do and see how God has sealed their future and given them a hope and a future, not one of evil and disaster. Let me tell you something. The gospel becomes attractive. The gospel becomes this beam, this, 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 this rallying cry to a world that's lost and dying and suffering and sinking, right? Amen. That's our responsibility. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility as salt and light. Amen. Now for a minute, let me just get in your kitchen for a minute. Can we just get personal a little bit? Well, whether you give me permission or not, you know I'm going to go there. Amen. See, many Christians think social media is the perfect platform for all kinds of crazy and offensive messages. They either like or retreat or, or com compose these conspiracy, conspiracy series that have no basis in reality, and, and, and they spout off all their vile comments uh, against political leaders and celebrities they don't like, and, and even preachers they don't like, and, and maybe they might do some of that today for me. I'm not sure, but I don't know who's worse, either the left-wing liberals or the right-wing conservatives. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. Amen. I've seen incredible, hateful messages from Christians on both sides of the aisle. Amen. So Paul uses this analogy again about salt near the end of his letter to the Colossians. He reminds us about this in Colossians chapter 4. He said, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. Let your speech always be graced and seasoned with salt that they may know how you ought to answer each one. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. What do our unbelieving friends think about when they see and read our posts? What are they saying? What are they thinking? What flavor do they taste? Is it salty? Is it, is it flavorful? Is it sweet? Amen, of God's wisdom and kindness, or, or is it the bitter poison of racism and xenophobia and bitter partisanship and white owl, um, you know, um, fan, fanaticism? What, what, what do they read? What do they feel? What do they taste? This is God saying, man, this is real life. That's what salt and light does. Do we delight in condemning those that we disagree with, or can we engage them in thoughtful uh, uh, dialogue and loving dialogue to win their hearts to Jesus? And, and here's what I'm asking you to do. Think, people. Think. Think before you post. Is this salty? Is this light? How is this going to be interpreted by people that, that don't know me, that don't know the Lord? How, is this going to... Is this going to bring people, draw people to Christ, or is this going to turn people off to Christ? I think we have a responsibility, and I would encourage you to have a responsibility, amen, to recognize, evaluate the flavor and color of the spoken and written messages and make changes. I'm telling you, some of you need to get off social media until you can get your heart right with God. I'm telling you, some of you just need to keep your mouth shut. It's none of your business. If you can't say it the right way, if you can't represent Christ, then do us all a favor. 
First of all, don't tell anybody you're from International Family Church. Number two, get off that thing so that you can get your heart right with God. And maybe when your heart is right with God and you now fully understand his love and fully understand the mercy and grace of God that's on your life, then maybe your attitude might change and maybe you might become more flavorful and maybe you might attract more people to Christ than being this constant stiff arm that turns people off from the rest of us who are trying to do this right. Can we just be a team today? Can we just work together today and be a bold witness? Hallelujah. Now, you know, you might not like those words, but, but nonetheless, they're just true. They're just true. Our lives broadcast messages everywhere we go. Our words send messages. Our clothes send messages. Our cars communicate to those around us. We used to have the saying, we still have this saying that Vern and I raised our kids with, and when they would leave the house or we would leave the house, we would say to each other, um, you know, don't forget the cameras are always on. We tell our kids the cameras are always on. The cameras are always on. And if we claim to be something and we, don't, we can't back it up with our walk, then we just need to keep our mouths shut and grow in God until we can open our mouths full of grace and salt and light and be a blessing to our world. Can I hear an amen today? Amen. amen. Don't be one of those Christians that say, you know what, I'm just gonna, no one's gonna tell me what to do or say. Again, believers versus disciples. Believers still have a foot in both worlds. And they feel conflicted about being Jesus' instructions about being salt in life because they know they don't have the testimony to back it up. But disciples know better. They understand that it's time to reveal the beautiful colors of the gospel that we are so in love with, the beautiful pictures of, of Jesus and his sacrifice and his shed blood in his life for us. Thank God for Jesus today. Let's, let's finish this. The third thing that's required for effective witness is bold service. Say it with me, bold service. bold service. Bold love, bold influence always shows up in bold service. I won't spend a lot of time on this. It's simply to say that Jesus is our perfect example of how he emptied himself and became a servant to all, didn't he? Yes, he did. And he wants us to follow in his footsteps. Paul is a great example. He was an angry, power-hungry, vindictive leader. But when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, God's love melted Paul's heart. His life was no longer about power and prestige and having the upper hand and winning the argument, but about the wonder of Jesus' power and compassion. His life radically changed. His life and his approach to life and his approach to people, while he was strong and understood God's word, it was always in love and had deep compassion. And we often get the order of events backwards. We start off telling people the gospel and hope they'll respond so we can then have a relationship with them. Their faith is, in effect, their ticket to give all of us permission now we can move forward. First, Think like me, and then we can have a relationship. That's not the heart of God. That's not the model Jesus gave us example. Paul and others were servants. Their starting point, listen, their starting point is serving people no matter what they thought or acted like. You need to read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Write that down. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 in the message translation where Paul talks about 
meeting the needs of a wide range of people. Don't you dare let your faith, and only if they respond to your faith, to be the condition of why you'll continue a relationship with them. It's not about whether they accept your faith or not. That's not the calling card. That's not the qualification of you having a relationship with people that are different than you. The reason why you have a relationship with people that are different than you is because you serve them. And in serving them and in loving them, then that opens the door for them to have faith in Christ. Can you see the difference? Please, so many people, if they don't respond or appreciate or yes me and, and, and follow the way I do things, we can't have a relationship. An important question for you is, does telling people about Jesus act like a weight around your neck? It stirs up your heartbeat as we were speaking today. Hands begin to sweat a little bit and you begin to feel a little uneasy and maybe a little little guilt tries to come in and creep in from the enemy? Or does your love for God and for people naturally and supernaturally motivate you to interact with people on a daily basis? Certainly we can benefit from some, with some training. Certainly we can benefit, well, how do I witness and how do I do this and, and, and have some clear, effective strategies. But that's not the problem for most Christians. Training is an easy hurdle to, to get. It's everywhere. The real issue is deeper. Is God's grace truly amazing to us or is your Christian faith still a bunch of do's and don'ts and have to's? If your Christian faith is still a bunch of do's and don'ts and have to's, if your Christian faith is still about the leather of the law, if your Christian faith is still about all those things that we can't do and all the things that we shouldn't do and things we shouldn't say, and it's not about the grace of God, it's not about the love of God and the mercy of God, then you have to relearn some things. You're just a simple believer on your way to heaven that'll be totally ineffective on this earth, and you need to become a disciple and learn to grow in your walk with God. Amen. Because when we experience the love of God, Amen. To the extent that we are no longer filled with ourselves and with gratitude, we say, thank you, Jesus, that my sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of eternal life. And I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. I've been affected by your mercy and your grace. It'll change everything about how you reach out to people and the preconditions you put on who you reach out. This is good preaching today. Someone who is a disciple and understands how to walk in bold love, bold influence, and bold service, they have this deep conviction that guides them. Here it is. It's all about people, no matter where they are or who they are. There's no preconditions. If you got preconditions on this, and if you have certain segments of society that you might say, I might be stretched over here, but I'm sure not gonna be over here. It's not God. It's all about people, no matter where they are or who they are. Believers pick and choose people based on lifestyles and beliefs. Disciples value everybody, no matter who they are or where they are. Wow. You cannot have a mindset that says, I'll reach out and learn to love those who are immigrants looking for a better life, but I'm drawing the line when it comes to the LGBT community. I'm not going there. That's crazy. That's not God. 
Can I say it? Even though you don't want me to hear it, you don't want to hear it today? That's not God. That's not God's heart. That's not God's purpose for you. Amen. That you would reach out to one segment that might stretch you, but you're not going to reach out to another segment that in your mind is the worst of the worst. How dare you? Who are you? And who died and left you boss? I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I correct that by the Spirit of God, and I'm not ashamed to do so today. Amen. Because it's absolutely wrong. And if we're going to be disciples, we need to have a bold love with our witness, a bold influence with our witness, and a bold service that goes along with it in Jesus' name. Take inventory of your life today. And amen, are you desiring to grow in bold love, bold influence, and bold service so you can be a bold witness? If you need to make some adjustments like we all have had to make in our lifetime, please make them so you can represent God, represent IFC, represent your family name, represent God in a way that, man, you are going for it and you are doing it. We don't have to be obnoxious and rude about it. We can learn to be like Jesus because his life and his light and his salt and his, 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 his gospel is living on the inside of us, and may we ever be living epistles and living billboards every day of the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So be it. Selah. Let's stand to our feet today.